and welcome to the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andrew Tempty, and uh, today we've got Manoj Argawal, uh, founder and chief innovation officer at Tetra Noodles Technology. I just love that name, uh, te- Tetra Noodle, and you'll ha- you'll have to uh, give us the insight of where that name uh, came from, uh, Manoj. Uh, so. Today, we're going to continue uh, exploring the balance between trust and accountability that we've been talking about uh, for a few episodes now. Uh, our listeners will uh, will remember we had a, a sales professional, uh, Mr. Nick Black, on the show talking about trust and accountability between sales and the business. Uh, today, we're gonna we're gonna focus on uh, on technology. So. Back in episode uh, 20, just for our listeners, uh, Dan Strafford and I talked about what accountability looks like at the organizational level. As I mentioned, today we're going to drill down into the technology uh, department, and Manoj has all sorts of experience that uh, he'll share with us from a tech perspective. But before we get started, uh, Manoj, it'd be great if you told our listeners your story, and while you're telling it, uh, if you had to pick one event in your life that was a real key accelerant in your career, what would that have been? Sure, sure. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited to be here. Um, and uh, uh, let's uh, let's talk about my story. Basically, I grew up in India in a very, very small town, uh, north part of India. And uh, uh, not a lot of opportunities there for higher education or jobs and whatnot. So my career started at 15, working in a factory for $2 a day, six days a week, 12 hours a day. It was just back-breaking work. Um, and I wanted to do something better with my life. And I obviously in this in this situation with no resources, not even like a decent education, I was really puzzled what to do. And for, you know, through, through some fluke of luck, I got my uh, myself enrolled into a computer programming course and i just found uh, exactly what i wanted to do with my life so i just love computers i um, programming day night and just sort of went crazy with it and um then um what happened was i i came to canada um once again there it was just a fluke of luck i was i never planned to do that just happened that I landed up here right in the middle of dot-com boom. And as I landed in North America, you know, I, I easily got a job uh, within a few weeks. And the the funny thing is, I actually landed around year 2000. So it was like towards the end of the dot-com boom. And uh, very in a few months, I lost that job because of dot-com bust. Um, the company I was working with, they were in operation for like 12 months or so they already went public uh you know they had a, like a multi-million dollar ipo and then all of that collapsed within within a few months so i saw it all happen firsthand and then i said okay you know i need to look for another job i got another job and then september 11th happened and then i lost that job as well and then you know when this happened uh consecutively you know i said okay i need to do something on my own it doesn't seem like this job security thing is a is a real thing and so I started my consulting company, working with uh, a lot of startups, some early stage startups, but some startups with hundreds of millions of dollars in budgets, which were floated within larger corporations like Microsoft and Pearson 
Um, and so they were trying to, you know, sort of float new ideas, get ahead of the curve. So I learned a lot in multiple industries, how things are done uh, in logistics, in education, in healthcare, in, uh, uh, in real estate. And the funny thing is that there are so many common problems that, that people face and they never seem to, you know, have any inkling outside of the industry. How, how have other people solved this? And so that gave me a little bit of a superpower in that, that I could bring these solutions from different industries. And then you asked me about the pivotal moment. Um, so one of the pain, most painful periods of my time was, um, uh, you know, I've had a lot of challenges in my personal relationships with my spouse, with my, with my parents and whatnot. And then I had my first child in 2010 and I couldn't connect with my first child. That was the lowest point in my life. That was like, okay, you know, how can I not, uh, how, how can I uh, not be able to connect with my child? I have been blaming other people, adults not understanding me and now with my child. So that led me into, you know, really understanding the mind, really understanding how our psychology works, uh, neuroscience, meditation. And then along, along with that, I was also getting heavily into artificial intelligence. So I have four patents today in artificial intelligence and machine learning. I've written two books on technology. So all these experiences sort of really gave me an understanding about how technology works, how humans work, how humans use technology, and how we can combine these paradigms to bring about some magical results. So that is like a very brief summary of my story. I can sort of go into either uh, either one of the aspects uh, as you as you seem fit. Yeah. Uh, so in you know in in this podcast, I I want to make sure that our guests kind of get out uh in uh, you know into the into the the listenership yeah. what 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 you're what you're what you're trying to promote you know kind of yeah. why why are you here what what's the one thing that you would tell our listeners that 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 they should be really interested in about your story and the products and services that you have to offer you know one well i mean so what we do is we help companies utilize the power of human psychology and then utilize technology to scale things up so you know in business we when we enter business as if we are inexperienced we all think it's about building a cool product it's about technology it's about these inventions and patents but as we gain experience nothing else matters other than human beings because you know our customers are human beings. They have emotions. They have feelings. Our employees are human beings. Our suppliers, our partners, everybody is a human being. And they have their own priorities. They have their own lives. They have their own, uh, you know, uh, mission in life that they are on. So understanding human beings, their psychology, understanding what their priorities are, is the number one thing that people need to take into account. And that is what we bring to the table um, where people uh, you know, even Fortune 500 companies, they have lost the, the the science and the art of understanding what their employees want. So they come to us to increase engagement. Um, uh, you know, people have forgotten to learn more about what their customers want and they wonder why their products are not selling. So we go in there and really understand what the customer wants and then translate into a blueprint that technologists can actually implement and then produce the results that they're looking for. So, the, so what I always suggest to people is that whether you are, uh, you know, whether you are looking to climb the corporate ladder, whether you are an entrepreneur, whether you are a startup founder, whether you are a venture capitalist, really learn to listen to other people, really learn to uh, understand their priorities 
And that is what is going to give you the superpower to accelerate your growth and achieve the results that you're really looking for. Because in many cases, we stand in our way because, you know, we focus on the wrong things. If you focus on people and understanding them, everything falls into place. Yeah. They, uh, so for our listeners, this is why Manoj and I have uh, have really connected. He had me on his show and uh, uh, I'm uh, I, I, this this whole you know, center around people. Uh, your your people are your most valuable asset in your business. The people around you are the most valuable asset for your business, i.e., your customer. Uh, so this this is Manusha's uh, explanation is is why why we're so uh, nicely connected here. So let, let's uh, let's get into the topic at hand, which is trust and accountability. Uh, in the area of technology specifically, you know, from my chair as the former chief executive officer of, uh, you know, 300 plus million dollar global business, uh, there is a lot of tension between, quote unquote, the business and the and and the tech and the technology department with each one of them pointing fingers at the other when new product launches aren't on time or uh, certain goals aren't met. Uh, I, I'd like your exterior experience uh, with this uh, with this tension, and you know, do you have a particularly stark example uh, that yeah, we yeah. can share? Many, many of them. Many of them. <laughs> um, you know, it's very interesting when I was on the other side because I've been I've been a technical person. I've been a CTO. And I've, I've had those challenges where, you know, people don't trust each other. And, and when things don't go well, we have to, we generally tend to defend our position. But at the end of the day, you know, what I have noticed is, again, going back to my previous conversation, first, it starts with the communication. Because you see, as an executive, I focus on different things, meaning I want to summarize the information because there is so much coming at me every day. People are talking to me uh, about customer complaints, about delays, about things not working. And in order for me to make sense, I need to summarize it. That's why executives want to look at charts. We want to look at, you know, just give me like two liners. Okay, tell me what is going on because I don't have the, the mental space to assimilate a lot of information and information digested. But when we talk about technical folks, they're all about details, you know, they're all about, okay, I'm going to do this procedurally step by step. I want to make sure that all the KPIs are recorded. You know, I know what I'm doing. So fundamentally, there is a disconnect in the way we communicate. Um, and, and that is one of the major reasons why this starts to bubble up, meaning I'm trying to tell the technical team as an executive, hey, this product launch is very important. And they're like, yeah, it is very important. I understand. But that's where the conversation stops. If we can take that conversation a little bit further and say, you know what, I understand when I talk to you during our annual review, you want to buy a new house for your family and you want to get a raise. Now, I have a plan for our company to do better, which will actually generate more revenue, which will actually help us you know, uh, increase your salary, give you bonuses and whatnot. Now, in order for us to get there, we need this product launch. And why is that? Because we did a market research and, you know, 100,000 customers said, if you can launch this product on time, we'll pay you $10 million. Imagine what we can do with those $10 million. 
What do you what do you say about that, right? And now you are enrolling that technical person into your mission because we have aligned their priorities with the priorities that we have as an executive, as a company. And not only that, they see this as their mission now because it is actually trying to justify, you know, what they are after. At the end of the day, we all care about certain things in our life, right? So all we need to do is take the time and communicate to them clearly how the company is actually aligning to their objectives and helping them move forward. And not only that, we need their help to get there. So, so we are putting their own fate in their, into their own hands. So this communication really works magic because now we are all aligned and, uh, and, and delays are going to happen. Mistakes are you know, going to be made. And if we can say, hey, I understand uh, there is a delay. I understand there's a mistake. So what is your contingency plan? Let's work on that. Because if you don't have a contingency plan, what will it do? Yes, it will affect the revenue and all that. Company will survive. But what about your mission to buy a new house for your family? You know, that will be affected as well. What do you say to that? So if we, if we can have that kind of a conversation, everything else fall into place. I hope I hope that made sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, communication and purpose. Uh, that that's my that's my summary there, uh, yeah. uh, and that's that's just excellent. Uh, back in episode twenty, uh, Dan Strafford and I talked about uh, accountability and uh, you know uh, planning as uh, one of the key elixirs for the accountability challenges. Uh, what are some of the tools uh, and techniques that you've used? that you can share with our listeners about how you've gotten uh, technical folks involved in the planning process and, you know, kept that two-way conversation going. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I come from a software engineering background and there's an agile process, which is very, very popular um, these days. Uh, it's been popular for, for a few decades. But at the end of the day, what we need to recognize is that technology, business, people, environment, these are fluid, dynamic uh, environments. So we cannot uh, see much further than, say, six months and say, okay, in the next six months, this is where we need to sort of get to. But let's just figure out what do we need to get uh, get there for the next two weeks. So we plan our uh, our our time within like sprints of one week, two weeks or what have you. And then at the start of the sprint, which is the two week or one week period where we say, okay, you know, this is what we are going to focus on. We have a planning meeting uh, with every stakeholder in the room. Now, these meetings can get unwieldy. So uh, I will uh, encourage people to, you know, sort of focus on seven to 10 people in that planning meeting. And then we just say, okay, by the end of the next two weeks or one week, this is where we need to be. Let's break down what are the tasks needed? What are the projects we need to take up? and then assign those tasks, assign those expectations that this is what complete means. Let's say we want to launch a website. Okay, what does that mean? Like how many pages, you know what, like who's gonna test it? What is the definition of a complete? You lay it out uh, everything and then everybody understand by the end of the two weeks, this is what I'm expected to do. This is what I need to be delivering. And if there's a problem, then there's a daily daily uh, sort of, uh, you know, sync up, catch up meeting where people can really um, share any uh, any uh, unexpected events so that the team can handle it in an agile fashion and can address it you know as we go so uh, it, it's a very high level description of the agile process but 
that works wonder. And then in order to implement it, there are certain tools like, you know, you may be familiar with Jira or ClickUp or Trello or whatnot. But at the end of the day, like, you know, it's all about like really planning, as you said, uh, dividing that plan into smaller uh, chunks of work and then prioritizing it and making sure that we are working on the high priority items. Yeah. So, it, it, and, you know, Agile and uh, my, our listeners know that I'm a continuous improvement and organizational health uh, leader. They're probably sick of me saying those, those words. But uh, what, what I found is that Agile and continuous improvement are they're, they're, they're very, very closely aligned with one another. And I've, I've literally sat in a room with, uh, with, with agile professionals, uh, folks that have, uh, you know, really uh, 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 attached themselves to that methodology. And then they hear me talking about continuous improvement uh, and and they think it's some foreign language, and that yeah. the the oh I, I'm going to have to learn something completely new. And the answer is n- no, you don't. It, it, exactly. The tenets are uh, are are very very aligned with one Absolutely. another. Absolutely. Uh, so so getting technologists that want to do everything agile, and then business people that are focused on continuous improvement. Uh, one of the biggest lessons that I think we can impart today is that. Those things are essentially the same Absolutely. thing. Absolutely, same thing, same thing, yeah. exactly. Yeah. In fact, uh, continuous improvement, it's actually one of the tenets of uh, Agile itself. I mean, there is a there is a prescriptive uh, meeting that ha- has to happen, which is um, retrospective uh, in an Agile framework, which is all about, you know, reviewing what happened in the past uh, one week, two weeks, what can be improved upon. And so uh, continuous I- improvement is actually built into this whole process. Yeah, so a dear friend of mine uh, manages the B2B team for a very, very large North American uh, retailer who I will not say the name of. And uh, he and I, uh, he and I talked a lot about, uh, te- I, I'm, te- I'm not a technology leader, but I've, you know, as chief executive officer, I'm kind of de facto a technology leader. Uh, but if you call me the business guy, and if you call him the technology guy, we we engage in pretty robust conversations about uh, deadlines and agile frameworks, and uh, and how those two things don't necessarily uh, 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 align with with one another. What what advice do you have for business leaders like myself? To help improve their empathy for the for the way of working in an agile framework, where the old concept of, of a quote unquote deadline really doesn't apply anymore. How do you get business people to 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 really understand that? And again, the key word here is is empathy and be able to see what's happening on the on both sides of the equation. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a very, very good question. Uh, in fact, like, you know, th- this is where um, a lot of organizations actually fail to leverage uh, the key key uh, uh, aspects of Agile and also communication. But basically, you know, as we all know, 80% of the results in any organ- in any endeavor are produced by 20% of efforts. Now, the the thing is that what we think as results, as executives, because most of our focus is on generating revenue, growing business, satisfying customers, 
which are very, very different than launching a website or any technical project that people are you know, implementing. So what happens is that for the technical folks, you can imagine they are excited about building technology. They're excited about engineering. They're excited about you know, finding new ways of solving very, very complex problems. And so that is their objective. That is what drives them. And then executives, they want to, you know, bring in revenue. Uh, now, if we can just uh, say, okay, hey, technical folks, we really need to launch the website. Uh, even if it, it doesn't have the flashy, you know, all the graphics and all that, the customer just needs to land on the website and be able to pay for this product as easily as possible. You can do all the technical sort of, you know, um, bells and whistles uh, as the second phase of the project because I don't really need it. The customers don't really care for it, okay? What we really need to do is just make that happy path of paying for the product very, very easy. So let's prioritize that. That'll be our 24% effort, which will bring in the 80% of the results. And the rest of the effort, we can, we can figure it out as we go. If we can focus on that, you know, things start to work. But as we said, you know, our focus is entirely in different places. And that's where the, the alignment between um, between the, the objectives are not very clear. Now, I'm, I'm just giving you a general sort of a, a scenario, which I have seen that happen many, many times. Uh, the, there are other intricate uh, details in many projects that, that uh, you know, that are peculiar to that project. But generally, it's this prioritization 80-20 rule, which is not aligned, which causes this problem. I'm going to put you on the spot. Just uh, I, I promised I wouldn't do this, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Where do you think the chief, the the head of technology, belongs in the reporting hierarchy of the business? This is a this is a a, a point of contention that I've that I've had with uh, with previous leaders that I've dealt with. Some leaders want to put technology under the chief financial officer or under the chief operating officer and kind of tuck it away like it's this machine that we tap into. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I'm, I'm really interested in, in your perspective on in the organizational hierarchy, where should the head of technology sit? Great question. Um, you know, the thing is that we are living in uh, a technological age where every company is a technology company. Even if you're running a corner store, you have to have internet connection, you have to have secure systems, you have to have like, you know, these basic things, right? Now, if you know your business depends on technology, there is no question that it has to be, uh, you know, a, 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 the full-fledged citizen of the executive team. It, it, I may be biased because I'm coming from technology, but when I look at the business side of things, all I know is Let's say if you are, uh, you know, a horse cart uh, a driver and horse is your main way of making a living. If you do not care of care for that horse, if you do not try to understand that horse, if you just treat that horse as a machine, it's not going to last very long. And I have seen this happen so many times in companies where, you know, they do not in want to invest in technology. They, even when the technology people are saying, hey, you know, uh, I'm seeing some cracks here. You know, um, if we don't fill these gaps in two years, our technology is going to collapse. Because if you keep growing this business and, you know, we don't overhaul it, we don't take care of it, things are going to collapse. And multiple times, people who do not understand technology, they fail to, you know, um, 
they fail to sort of invest in it, right? So this lack of understanding, this sort of uh, this tendency to treat technology as a black box, ultimately backfires. So I definitely think technology should be at the at the table and and must be heard, just like any other department. Um, that that you know we we need to take care of this because our business depends on it. Yeah, well, uh, virtual fist bump. Uh, I didn't want to lead the witness, uh, but I, I too strongly believe that technology has to have a, a seat at the table, uh, at, at the at the executive table. Which, as a side note, uh, we've we've got a long way to go to grow the leadership capabilities within within technology. We've got a huge what I uh, call an accidental manager uh, challenge in in technology. Hey, uh, Susie, you're really good at coding. You want to lead some people? Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, Susie's in charge of people, and all of a sudden, Susie's uh, got a seat at the table, but we haven't really invested in in Susie's leadership capabilities. But that's for for another episode. so, Manoj, it's been wonderful having you on the show. I, I just one one more question, um, if if I may. Uh, we're going to have some folks that that are listening that are interested in entering the field of technology. Maybe they just got their first job in technology. You're here. You've got you know you you had that experience in the early two thousands of losing a couple of jobs and having to redefine yourself. What's that one piece of sage advice that that new individual contributor into technology needs to hear from you today? Yeah, first, um, become a lifelong learner because technology moves at a very, very rapid pace. And you really need, you don't want to get caught up in a, in a wave of technology that is getting outdated because that is the sure shot way of you becoming redundant. So. Always invest a few hours a week learning about new technologies. What this will do is it will not only open up your mind, but it will also give you avenues to pursue more interesting things. Because, you know, one thing we all know, if this becomes like, you know, your job becomes like a hobby, then you don't have to work at all in your life. Because, you know, it basically you're having fun uh, doing what you love to do and you're getting paid for it. And the way to discover that really that 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 key thing that interests you so much that it becomes your hobby is to try out new things, right? If you don't try out new things, you will never know. And so this is a short, short way of, you know, listen to these kind of podcasts. You know, it takes it takes like 30 minutes. So if you're on a commute, maybe make sure that you uh you know have three, four episodes lined up or read a book or uh you know, for hardcore technologies like I still uh, find new technologies and I start coding for fun uh, and see, okay, you know, what can I get, gain, gain out of this and see, oh, what, what is the new capability of this new language they are coming up? What is the new, uh, you know, uh, capability of this new platforms somebody has launched? And now I don't have to go deep into it, but I know that, hey, if this situation arises, I know there is something out there that can solve this problem. So now I have a broad uh, sort of scope of uh, things in my mind and also I can pursue anything that really interests me, that pushes me. Just like I mentioned artificial intelligence, because I was pursuing new things. And as soon as I saw an opportunity to implement artificial intelligence, I raised my hand. I said, oh, yeah, I want to I wanna do that. Right. So 
I, I failed uh, initially a couple of times, but that's how you learn. So you keep pursuing your interest and that's what gives you the, the edge, the, the enthusiasm, and, and also future-proof your career as you go through either building your startup or, or uh, you know, your, your career, what have you. And uh, I mean, if you look around uh, all, the, all the successful professionals, doctors, lawyers, uh, everyone has to keep themselves updated with the, with the new findings, new inventions, new medicine. Uh, it's the same with technology as well. Well, you're telling me that my COBOL skills uh, need a little polishing? Absolutely. You know what? <laughs> COBOL is, is still relevant because there are still many, many uh, mainframes out there, right? So yeah. if you really start to drill deeper into it, there's huge demand for COBOL developers right now. People are paying premium for it. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, uh, back when I was in school in the, in the mid-1980s, we actually had a VAX machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we the the one of the first coding classes that I that I had. We we had cards in you know a stack of cards in a box that if you walked across campus and you know you tripped and fell, your entire program was uh, laying all yeah. over the yeah, yeah, exactly. laying all over the quad. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, that that's. Uh, and that actually happened to me. Uh, that that was, that was my, my my experience with uh, with, with uh, <laughs> And with you COVID. see, you remember it after all these years. That, that's that's how powerful that experience is, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Manoj, it was wonderful uh, speaking with you again, and uh, just want to thank you for all of your insights. Uh, I, my name is Andy Tempty. This is the Balancing Act podcast. You can find us on uh, Spotify and Apple and Sprecher and Podbean and all the, uh, all, 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 the, all the podcasting services. You visit us on, uh, on andrewtempty.com. Uh, please look up Manoj at Tetra Noodle. Uh, it, again, oh, oh, before we go, uh, how'd you come up with the name? Oh, um, so I'm not good at marketing as you, uh, as, as most engineers are not. So I was, when I was looking for a name, um, I used to visit this uh, restaurant called Noodle Box with my friends. And uh, one day I was sitting there and I was like, okay, you know, this is a box. So let's call it Square Noodle. And I was just joking. I was like, these people are going to laugh at me. They go, oh, yeah, that sounds really good. I'm like, really? Are you are you joking with me? Go, no, no, no. It sounds good. Like, keep going with that. So then from Noodle Box, it became Square Noodle. Then it became Tetra Noodle. Oh, very, very fun. Very fun. So, <laughs> th- th- thanks for sharing that. Again, visit us at andrewtempty.com. We're on LinkedIn. We're everywhere. Manoj has, uh, has a program as well. So thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Thank you.